This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. Good morning. Uh, my name is Chris. I'm the pastor here at Christian Chapel. It's great to see you uh, on Sunday, March 26th. So we know we're kind of running out of space here in this service. The same thing's happening in the 915 service. So on Sunday, March 26th, we are starting an 8 a.m. service. Uh, I told you a little bit about that last week, but we're going to do that for six weeks, uh, run it all through April, those weeks leading up to Easter and after Easter into the first week or so of May, um, and just to give us a little bit of space. It's also a great trial run for our staff and volunteers because the plan is to launch three services full-time next August when school resumes. Uh, so what that means for you is that 8 a.m. service, uh, as I said last week, I know if you're in the 1045, you're, you're just not coming uh, at 8 o'clock because you, you know, you're still sleeping for two solid more hours after that. Uh, uh, but if you uh, can help us, we're asking some of our 915 people to bump into that 8. If you, some of you can bump into the 915, that creates a little bit more space. What we typically have seen at Christian Chapel is first-time guests are most likely to come to the 1045 service or the 915, and so it just gives us a little bit of room. We'll have nursery in that 8 a.m. service, so if you've got young babies or toddlers that you know are, have been up for seven hours by the time 8 a.m. rolls around, come join us and we'll have some relief and coffee for you uh, and just kind of worship together. But that'll start on March 26th. Another thing we are doing this year at Christian Chapel is taking time to share the stories of what God has done uh, here in our community. And so if you have any of those, you can send them to us at praise at christianchapel.com. Again, that's praise at christianchapel.com. This morning, uh, I want to share a story with you from actually our children's pastor, Amy Byler, about her son, Caleb. Caleb's currently a freshman at Jinx High School. She said, when Caleb was in second grade, we noticed that his upper left leg was smaller than the other leg. We went through multiple tests to see what the problem was, and we discovered that for some unknown reason, the main nerve that runs through his upper leg was dead. Caleb went through physical therapy to work to straighten his leg, but the doctors told us once a nerve is dead, it's dead. While other nerves can grow stronger to support the injured nerve, the original nerve cannot be brought back to life. That was about seven years ago, and we've prayed consistently for Caleb's leg. During those seven years, there have been questions as to why a healing wasn't happening and heartbreak on our part as parents for Caleb and the challenges he encountered. Last fall, Caleb began his freshman year in high school and joined the school marching band. We were apprehensive about how band would go since he has a limp due to his neuropathy, and he was limited in certain ways of moving his leg. Caleb went to youth camp last July, and we had to pick him up a couple days early from youth camp because marching band camp was starting. On the way home, we were asking him how everything went. When we asked about how the services were, he casually said, good, God healed my leg. (laughs) We were shocked and, of course, wanted to know more about that. He said that at the end of one of the services, he was sitting by himself praying. He felt a cold sensation start at the ankle of his left leg and move all the way up to his hip. He felt like trying to move his leg in a way that he could not before, and it moved. We were so excited and thankful for this healing. This experience for Caleb and really our entire family has been very faith-building. It's a reminder that God sees us and knows us. We do not believe it was an accident that Caleb's healing happened the day before he officially began marching band. We're overwhelmed by the goodness and the presence of God. (laughs) 
So we, uh, Pastor Amy shared that story January 1st in our, our New Year's Day service, but I know many of you were unable to be with us. We want to be sure to, to share that one with you again. And each week when we share those, we, we stop and we pray two prayers. The first prayer we pray is a prayer of gratitude, expressing thanks to God for what he's done. And the second is a prayer of, Lord, will you do it again? Will you continue to release your healing power? Will you continue to work in miraculous ways? And, and so I, I just want to ask, if you're here today, and you know, for Caleb, that was a seven-year process of just this nagging, persistent thing that affected life, but, but could also be overcome in some ways. And, and I know in, in my life, there have been times dealing with physical challenges where you're tempted just to accept, this is how I'm always going to be. This is what I'm always going to fight. This limitation, this pain, this discomfort, this lack of something is, is just always going to be who I am. If you're here today and you just have some persistent thing that has nagged you, that has bothered you, that will not go away, a, a physical thing where you want God to come and just release his gifts of healing, if you're comfortable, you raise your hand where you are. We just want to join all of our faith together. I'm, I'm there with you praying, Lord, just take these things away perfectly, finally, forever, and completely. So that's you. Raise your hand. If somebody's near you and you're comfortable, put your hand on their shoulder and we're just going to pray. Jesus, we come today and we thank you for your healing in Caleb's life. We thank you that you released that in a completely supernatural and unexpected way. We thank you, Lord, that you have restored and renewed and you're continue to strengthening him every day. And now, Jesus, we, as we give you glory, we're also asking, will you do it again? You see every body in this room. You see every pain, every discomfort. You see every limitation. You see the spaces where doctors have told us this is just how it's always going to be, and you're going to have to learn to cope and to deal. And Jesus, we're praying into every one of those spaces, will you release the miraculous, supernatural healing power of your spirit today? Will you come and begin to restore motion? Will you come and remove pain? Will you come and rebuild joints? Will you come and take and give back everything that has been taken away. Lord, we pray for an instant and complete removal from pain. We pray for an instant and complete renewal of motion and energy. Lord, we pray today that migraines will be gone forever. Lord, we pray today that joint pain will be gone forever. We pray today for every physical limitation to be banished and to be replaced by wholeness, health, and healing in Jesus Christ. And so, Jesus, we come asking that you would give us faith to receive the gifts you're giving and that we would give you all the glory, all the honor for it as we receive that healing. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Hey, as God continues to answer those prayers, keep sending them in. Praise at ChristianChapel.com. It is never bragging to tell about the good things that God has done in your life. It's, it's biblical to do it. So share those with us. It, it builds our faith together and creates opportunities for God to continue to work among us. Today we're continuing our series through the book of Acts, uh, where we're talking about Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the church. That's the story of Acts, kind of on a loop or on repeat, and so we're, we're doing that. Today we're going to be in Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 36, talking about how the Holy Spirit pours out his power on us to make Jesus famous. Now fame is something that uh, is, is very popular, not just in our culture, but all around the world for all of time. Uh, everybody at some level has a desire to be famous. Uh, we live in a world now where you can be famous just for being famous. You know, you used to have to have some sort of ability or talent. Uh, you know, my, my kids at times will tell me about a certain person and they'll mention a name and I say, I don't know who that is. And they'll tell me, oh, they're really famous. I'm like, okay, what do they do? And they're like, well, they're really famous. I know, but what, like, what skills do they have? And they're like, they have a lot of followers. Like, but what are they following them for? Because they're really famous. And we just get stuck in this loop. 
um, that normally ends with me giving a lecture, my kids rolling their eyes and leaving, right? Of like, you can't be famous for doing nothing. And they're like, you're old. And, and then that's just, that's really a lot of our conversations that in that way. But, but when we talk about making Jesus famous, what we're not saying is the Holy Spirit comes to hype Jesus up in the world, or the Holy Spirit comes to kind of make, make a, a big deal about Jesus, but then in the end, he's not really worth it. When we say make Jesus famous, it's a recognition that he's the creator of heaven and earth, that everything we have, everything we experience, everything we know comes from his hand, that he is worthy of all our respect, that he is worthy of all of our admiration, that he deserves all the acclamation, all the applause, that he is, is above all, he's over all, he's in all. He's the one who holds all things together. He's the one that spoke the words of creation. He is the one that is with us in every moment. And so when we say make Jesus famous, what we're really just saying is just pay attention to who Jesus is. Because he's already famous, he's already powerful, he's already unlike anyone, anything, anywhere. And our job as followers of Christ is to submit to the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we do that, the Holy Spirit creates a stir in our life through his supernatural work and his supernatural activity. And when he stirs in our life, it provokes a reaction in the world around us. Because other people see the supernatural work of God in your life and they typically react in one of two ways. They either admire it and want to know more or they reject it and want to make fun of it. But either way, when the Holy Spirit creates a stir, it provokes a response, and that response creates a platform for you to tell others about Jesus. We see this in the story of the early church. Last week, we looked at the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit is poured out. And when the Holy Spirit's poured out, there are supernatural signs and wonders that accompany his arrival. The, the, the 120 or so who are gathered in the upper room near the temple begin to pray in other languages as the Spirit enables them. And the crowd of religious pilgrims who've traveled in to observe the day of Pentecost hear the glories of God being declared in their native languages. And they begin to ask, what does this mean? And what we see in their question is there are two responses, and we still experience these two responses. So Acts chapter 2, verse 12, some will be curious. It says, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? But others may mock. In verse 13, it says, some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. When the Holy Spirit's power is released in your life, it will create platforms for Jesus. Right, there will be opportunities for others to see, hear, and experience the same thing that you've known. Now, generally, we kind of like that idea of I am okay with God working in my life in a way where others are curious about what I have received. But what we see in the scriptures is it's not always a positive reaction that creates a platform. Sometimes people are going to look at you and say, what does this mean? And other times people are going to look at you and say, I think you've lost your mind. I think you're ridiculous. I can't believe you would believe that. I can't believe you would participate in that. I don't know how you fall into that. I don't know how you become a part of that. And what the story of Acts teaches us is whatever response we get, either curiosity or rejection, we see all of it as an opportunity to say, well, let me just tell you about Jesus. And when the Holy Spirit creates those platforms, we have to remember that the platform is created so that we can tell others about Jesus. The primary purpose of the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit is to magnify Jesus in the world through our lives. He pours out his power. Remember, he tells us, you'll receive power to be my witnesses. And so what that means for us today is we do not seek the Holy Spirit primarily for our own benefit. We seek the Holy Spirit's power so that we can do the things Jesus has called us to do. 
which kind of carries with it this, this word of warning for us that the Holy Spirit is not our hype man, right? The, the, the primary, do any of you have a hype man in your life? If not, I would highly recommend them. They're wonderful. Are any of you someone else's hype man? Yeah, like every grandparent, your hand should go up. You are like, your kid is the future president. We know, right? They, they are the greatest at whatever. They are the smartest. They are the prettiest. They are the most intelligent. We get it, right? It's wonderful. I've got, I've got a friend in Bartlesville. He's a pastor. His name's Jason. And Jason uh, Fullerton Pastor Spirit Church up there. And he is, without a doubt, the most encouraging man I've ever met in my life. Every time I hang out with him, I come home and I tell Angie, I love hanging out with Jason. Like he, he spends the whole time telling me how great I am, how great you are, how awesome our kids are. When we go out to eat, he tells the waitress, this is my friend Chris, and these are all the things that he's good at. When he introduces me to other friends, he, he only, like, he shouts about my strengths. He tells me I'm good at things I don't even know that I do. He just, like, wonderful. Like, I come home just flying on a cloud when I, like, Jason is a great hype man. And he's just, he's there for you, right? And he's pushing you. And, and I would encourage you, like, man, some, I hope somebody somewhere, I don't know who it is, I hope they think of me that way. I hope they think, man, Chris, when I'm with him, he's encouraging me. He's pushing me. He's promoting me. He is for me, right? Now, now that's great. We want to be encouraging in our relationships with each other in that way. We want to serve that role in someone else's life. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, what I want you to understand is the Holy Spirit's primary purpose is not to be the marketing agent for your life. Right? His primary purpose is not to build your brand, to build your platform, to increase your wealth, or to increase your fame. Those things may happen as you walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, but they only happen to magnify the platform you have to preach the gospel of Jesus, not to build your own name, fame, or acclaim. And so what that means is when we say we want to be a spirit-empowered church, we don't want to be a spirit-empowered church so that others know who we are, so they remember who we are, so they respect who we are. We want to be a spirit-empowered church so we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and have opportunities to tell others about Jesus. As you see the scriptures, as you see in the story of Acts, the story of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the church always go together. Jesus is the one who sends the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and magnifies Jesus. And as men and women experience the power of the Holy Spirit, they submit their lives to Jesus. They're baptized in the Holy Spirit. They become a part of the church. And then they give their lives to telling others the good story of Jesus and about this gift of the Holy Spirit that he's given to them. And it just happens over and over and over again. And what that means for us is that if we're really going to be spirit-empowered people, and if we're really going to walk in the power of the Spirit, then we are going to be okay with some degree of anonymity. To, to really walk in the Spirit is to understand God is going to use me in places. He's going to take me into spaces where I'm going to use the platform he gives me to tell others about Jesus. They're going to submit and surrender their lives to him, and then they're going to forget everything about me. They're not going to write books about me. They're not going to name their kids after me. They're not going to build a building with my name on it. They're just going to move on with their life. But as a follower of Jesus who walks in the power of the Holy Spirit, you understand your primary job is not to be remembered by your neighbor. It's not to be admired by your coworkers. It's not to be the legacy that is told for in your family for generation after generation. Your job is to submit to Jesus, to receive the power of the Holy Spirit, and wherever he provides you with a platform or an opportunity to tell others about him. And you know that your greatest legacy is those that you have impacted. And they may never know, and sometimes you may never know, but if you've attached your life to the kingdom, it matters and it lasts regardless if your name matters or lasts. 
It's just this beautiful invitation, but it it reminds us as we're coming into this idea of I want to receive the Spirit's power that we have to constantly check our motives. Because if I'm coming and saying, Holy Spirit, I want your power, I I want a big platform. Sometimes what we mean is I want a big house. I want a lot of money. I want a lot of recognition. I want a lot of respect. And if our motivation for Holy Spirit empowered living is anything other than making Jesus famous, then we've got to stop. We've got to allow the Holy Spirit to convict. We have to allow him to purify our motives. And then we'll receive his power to build his kingdom through his work in our lives. Now, now some of us, even, even as we see that, we think, well, what, what exactly does that look like? And I think in Acts chapter 2, Peter models it for us, that when the Holy Spirit creates a stir, it does create a response in those who see it, hear it, observe it. And then when they begin to ask, it's, it's very simple. It's just us stepping into that space. Acts chapter 2, verse 14, we see Peter's response. It says, then Peter stood up with the 11. He raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. And so what we want to remember is that Acts is prescriptive, not just descriptive. It's not just telling us a story of what Jesus did once upon a time in a land far away. It's prescribing for us this is the pattern of life for everyone who places their faith in Jesus Christ. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, he will confirm his arrival with supernatural signs and wonders. When he works in that way, it will create a stir in the world around you. It will provoke a response from those who see it, and you will have an opportunity. And so it's a reminder to us that the Holy Spirit can still use you and use me to make Jesus famous. Right now, Peter is the one who stands and speaks, and Peter might be the most unlikely of the disciples. It says that Peter stands with the 11 that day and hears the the voice of the crowd, some wondering, some accusing, and tells them all, hey, stop, listen carefully, and I'll explain to you what happens. Now, if you're unfamiliar with Peter, it might seem like he's just the natural leader of the church. But if you go back and read in the Gospels the story of Peter, what you find is Peter is a loud, impulsive, brash, like ready to jump without looking, constantly getting himself in over his head, his mouth. Uh, as my dad told me when I was a kid, Peter's mouth is often writing checks that his body can't cash. Right? I mean, I just, I heard that so often, and I usually had a smart response back for him. Uh, but, but, you know, just, that, just that's the picture you get of Peter. Peter's telling Jesus, hey, I, I, even, even if all these other jokers abandon you, I never will. I will die for you, Jesus. And tonight, Jesus is arrested, and Jesus tells him, Peter, before the night's over, you're going to deny me three times. No, no, not, absolutely not. I will die for you. They come to arrest Jesus. Peter whips out his sword and tries to cut off someone's head. He just gets the ear instead, right? So in addition to jumping in too early, he apparently lacks follow-through as well. Um, And so you, uh, the dad's got it. Everyone, get it, follow-through. If you're trying to cut somebody's head off and you don't follow through, what do you cut off? Their ear. All right. Andrew Parker is with me and appreciates it. And I'm here for it too. So, but Peter's just, he's not the guy. 
He's not the guy you expect on the day of Pentecost. So he, he, he's proving to Jesus, hey, I'll die for you. Watch, I'll fight for you. I'll kill for you. I'll do everything. I'll walk the line for you. All, all that kind of stuff, right? And, but what does Jesus do? He says, hey, before the night's over, three times. Jesus is arrested, and then you, you can read the accounts yourself. Three different times they're asked, don't you know him? Aren't you with him? And Peter says, no, 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 I'm not with him. There's a servant girl who says, we know you are. We can hear it in your accent. Peter begins to call curses down on himself. He says, I've never met the man. I don't know him at all. The rooster crows. Peter runs away crying and just hides. And yet on the day of Pentecost, there's something that has happened to Peter where he's moved from the man who can't acknowledge to a servant girl that he knows Jesus to the man who's willing to stand up in face of a crowd that that seems at least somewhat oppositional to the work of the Holy Spirit and to say, now listen up and let me tell you what has happened. And as you see that, you're thinking, well, what what is the difference? The difference is Peter has been restored by Jesus, and Peter has received the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what qualifies him. So you might be here today and think the, the idea of being a witness, that's great for some people. That's great for people who are smarter than you, great for people who are holier than you, great for people who have a better education than you are, great for people who are quicker thinking on their feet, great for people who are more extroverted or more charismatic, but it's just not for you. You're not the one that Jesus is ever going to call to speak for him. And Peter's model teaches us that if you have been reconciled with Jesus and you've received the power of the Holy Spirit, you have everything you need to stand and speak for him. And and even still, some of us will reject that and think, again, I know that's good for most people, but I'm just not quite there. What I want you to notice is when Peter gets up and stands to speak, before he even gets into who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, he explains this gift of the Holy Spirit. And in explaining the gift of the Holy Spirit, he explains who this gift of the Holy Spirit is for. Acts chapter 2, verse 16, or sorry, verse 17 and 18 Peter's quoting from an Old Testament prophet, and he says, this is what's happening here. God has promised, I will pour my spirit out on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour my spirit out in those days, and they will prophesy. So when you're thinking, who does Jesus want to fill with power to be his witness? Who does Jesus want to make him famous in the world? Peter makes it very clear. The gift of the Holy Spirit is sent to every man, woman, and child who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And now who does God want to use as witnesses for him? Peter says it's all people, your sons and your daughters, your young men and your old men, your servants, your men and your women, making it clear that over every division of culture and custom, over every category, that we place people in saying this is who is qualified and this is who is not qualified over every objection we have in our life saying this is why I cannot be a witness, this is why God would not choose me, comes the power of the Holy Spirit that says I will pour my spirit out on all people, your young and your old, your men and your women, your sons and your daughters, your servants, all of you. There is nothing, once you say yes to Jesus, you are fully qualified to receive all the power of the Holy Spirit for everything that God has for you to do. Which means you have to lay down all of your objections and understand the Holy Spirit not only can use me, but the Holy Spirit has a personal plan to use you to make Jesus famous where you are. What Peter teaches us is it's not about intelligence, it's not about eloquence, it's just about your availability. Are you willing to step into the spaces that God is creating in your life and speak the words that he will give you in those moments? Because here's the thing, I can't fulfill God's plan in your life. 
you can't fulfill God's plan for my life. At some point, we all have to understand, I've said yes to Jesus, I've received the power of the Holy Spirit, and now he has positioned me in places where he's creating platforms that I have to step into and begin to tell others about Jesus. I have to participate in what he's doing. And and what I want you to understand is that is not a, a burden or a pressure being placed on you, but that is a privilege that God is offering to you. And you you think about your job this week. Think about school. Think about all the things you have to do. Some of them you're really excited for. Some of them you might be dreading. But most likely, a lot of it just seems pretty ordinary and pretty mundane. You're going to see the same people. You're going to do the same assignments. You're going to go to the same meetings. You're going to follow the same patterns. You're going to establish the same routines. You're going to eat in the same places. But when you walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, every one of those moments begins to drip with eternal possibility. Because every person you interact with is somebody God's already dealing with. Every teacher, every classmate, every coworker, every customer, every client, every interaction you have, every neighbor, every family member, every friend, every person you see at the gym, every person on your team, God is actively working to draw them into a relationship with him. And so what you think is just another practice, just another day, just another class has the potential this week to be the platform that God uses to change their eternal destiny, to change their family for generations to come, to completely reorient their way of seeing themselves and seeing God. But that means that we have to understand God has a plan for me and I have to participate in that plan. I don't get to sit back and make all of my excuses of, well, I'm, I'm not a public speaker. I'm not eloquent. I can't, quick, I can't think quickly on my feet. I, I can't formulate my thoughts fast enough. I can't answer all their objections. Some of us are like, that, that gift of the Holy Spirit seems great for extroverted people. They already want friends. Let them make them all. Let them be the witnesses. I'm introverted. I have my two friends. I don't want any more. I'm trying to figure out how to get rid of one of them, actually. Right? Like you, you're just, you've got all your reasons. And yet what the Holy Spirit is teaching us through the story of Acts is when you receive power, it is power to make Jesus famous. And before you're going to make Jesus famous on some big stage with lots of people seeing it, you're always going to have your first opportunity with the people right around you. Those are the platforms God's most likely to create. Right? The reason God wants you to reach the people around you is because he's placed you there to reach the people around you. If he wanted me to do it, he would have put me there. If he wanted someone else to do it, he would have put them there. But he put you there. Those are your kids. Those are your coworkers. Those are your friends. That's your spouse. Those are your parents. Right? They are in your life because God wants to cause a stir that provokes a reaction that creates a platform for you to begin to tell them about Jesus. And I understand for, for some of us still that's intimidating of like, well, I, I understand that. I just don't know when I get to the point of, of, of actually starting to speak what am I supposed to say? Like, what do I do? And, and even here, I think Peter's model presents us with some things to think about. So let's, let's keep reading Acts chapter 2, verse 22 through 36, because it's going to be a little longer passage. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. 
Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. What we learn from Peter's example is that you can make Jesus famous. Not just that God wants to, not just that you should, but that you can. Peter was a Galilean fisherman. He was uneducated. He was informal. He was overlooked by the world around him. And and you might have your own excuses of why God can't use you, why God shouldn't use you, or why you would prefer that he uses someone else. But the story of Acts is the story of Jesus comes for every man, woman, and child so that you will be placed in a a saving relationship with him. Jesus pours out the gift of the Holy Spirit on every man, woman, and child who has placed their faith in him so that you will receive power to witness. And if he has saved you, and if he has filled you with the power of the Holy Spirit, it's so you will do your job. You can do it. You were created and have been empowered by God to take on this task. Someone did it for you, and now it's your joy and privilege to do it for someone else. And in that space, you get the privilege when you step onto the platforms that God creates of speaking words that explain the longings your friends, family, coworkers, and classmates have in their hearts. You will never share the gospel with anyone that the Holy Spirit is not already actively working to draw into a relationship with Jesus. When you come and and, and they, whatever it is in your life that creates an opportunity for that conversation, when you turn it towards Jesus, it doesn't mean that they're going to accept it. It doesn't mean that they're going to welcome it. But I promise what it means is God has already been working in their heart to get them to that point. And then our job is not to worry about the response. Our job is just to present the opportunity. And say, here's who Jesus is. Here's what he's done in my life. Here's how he can do it for you. Right? And so if, if you're really worried about, I understand that I can make Jesus famous, but I still don't know how. What do I say? Again, Peter, just, just a Galilean fisherman. When he hears the, the objections of the crowd, some of them saying these men are drunk, others saying what does this mean, Peter's response is not, hang on, let me go gather with my buddies, we're going to develop a teaching outline, I'm going to check some resources, I'm going to make some slides, maybe a video or two, an object lesson, and then I'll be happy to explain it to you. Peter doesn't do any of that, he just, he stands up under the power of the Holy Spirit and he tells what he knows. And what he knows is what he saw Jesus do, who he knows Jesus to be. He makes a brief scripture reference, and then he makes some direct application and makes an invitation. He says, this is who Jesus is. He suffered, 
He died. He was buried. He rose again. We, we recited this in the creed this morning. We observed it when we received communion. You make Jesus famous by telling the story of Jesus, and you know the story of Jesus. And so, so what does it mean to make him famous? It just means you're going to tell his story. You're going to tell it in simple language. You're going to tell it in language that makes sense to you. You're going to tell it in ways that make sense to the, the people with you. The story of Jesus is not overly complicated or convoluted. You don't have to start in Genesis and go all the way to Revelation. In about 60 seconds, you can tell the story of Jesus right? in ways that a child can understand. A couple of weeks ago, we observed Ash Wednesday here at Christian Chapel. Ash Wednesday is the, the beginning of Lent, uh, a 40-day season of preparation where the, the church kind of prepares our hearts and minds to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus on Easter. And so during Ash Wednesday, it's one of my, my favorite services of the year because it's an opportunity for us to remember that we are sinners in need of a Savior and that sin brings death, but Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And so Ash Wednesday, it, it always ends with an object lesson. And that object lesson is uh, you come forward and, and we place ashes on your forehead in the shape of a cross. So it's our adults who are with us and, and our chapel youth, they normally come down. So we did that a, a couple weeks ago. It's a, a really meaningful service, really puts our hearts to understand that, hey, we, we are sinners in need of a savior. Jesus died for us. And now we can be forgiven completely and fully. And we have hope of resurrection and life. Super simple. Well, my, my favorite part of Ash Wednesday is actually after the service is over. So we don't bring our kids in for Ash Wednesday because we, we feel like that's something we don't want them really to participate in until they're old enough to understand why we're doing it. Right? We're, we're not trying to raise kids who just observe religious rituals without any thought or reasoning to it. But what happens every Ash Wednesday is, is I usually hang out up here at the front afterwards with, with the ashes. And, and for the last several years, there, there's probably 10 to 12 kids whose parents will bring them to me at the end of that service. Because, you know, some of them are, are really young and little and they just see mom or dad picks me up and there's a cross on their head and, and they think it's like, you know, the same way they get stickers in their classroom. They think like, I guess, I guess dad was good in church. He got a sticker. And they look at it and they say, I want one of those. And so, so they'll bring them in and, and others, like mom and dad, they've talked about it, they explained it and the kids know like, hey, I want to do that. So, so regardless of the way, they, they bring a, a child to me and sit down on the front of the stage or over here in, in one of the chairs and I, I'll always tell them, like, I'm happy to do this. First, I'll ask them, do you want to do this? Because if they're like, no, my mom's making me do it, I'll send them on their way, right? Uh, but, it, but if they're like, no, I, I want to do it, then I'll ask them, well, do you know what this means? And by that point, you know, I, I've, I've put a couple hundred ashes on people, and so my hands are, are dark and sticky and dirty, and I'll show them the ashes on my fingers, and I'll say, the, you know, these ashes, they are dark and they're sticky, and they remind us that sin comes and sin leaves a stain on our heart. And we'll talk about, do you know what sin is? And, and normally if they don't, we'll figure it out. And, and I'll tell them at some point, you know, I'm a sinner, and I'd ask Jesus to forgive me. And I'll ask them, are you a sinner? Uh, and if they say no, we'll, we'll stay there till they know that they are, right? Because you are, all of them, all of them. You're perfect little angels. You know, actually not. They're fallen angels. And they are sinners, 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 all of them. Every single one of them. Sinners in need of a savior. And so we'll just talk to them. Hey, we all sin. We all mess up. Um, but when we put the, the ashes on your forehead, we put them on in the shape of a cross. And if they're older, I'll ask them, why do you think we do that? And if they're younger, I'll tell them we do it in the shape of a cross because it reminds us that Jesus died on a cross. And why did Jesus die on the cross? And, and they'll tell me because he saves us from our sins. And, and we'll have that talk. And then I'll tell them, okay, now when you go home 
and you wash that off, I want you to remember that because Jesus died on the cross and because you've asked him to forgive you of your sins, now your sins aren't held against you anymore. You're completely clean, you're whole, you're healthy, and you can move forward in your relationship with Jesus. And that whole process, it's shorter than what it took me to explain it. It takes about 60 seconds. And that child has heard the gospel, they've responded to the gospel, they've acknowledged the gospel. And so when it comes to you having opportunities to tell the story of Jesus, my encouragement is don't overcomplicate it. It's a really simple story. We're sinners in need of a Savior. God sends Jesus as the Savior. And that internal turmoil that we feel is the Holy Spirit convicting us of sin to turn our attention towards Jesus. And now our response is just to ask him to forgive us, cleanse us, and set us free. And when you're telling the story of Jesus, you're not telling it as some historical lesson. You're also telling it as the present reality of this is what is happening in my life. I am a sinner who was in need of a savior and I have been redeemed. Jesus is still washing me clean every day. He is still leading me on paths of life. He is still my source of joy, hope, and salvation. He is still the one who turns my mourning into dancing. He is still the one who lifts the cloud of heaviness and grief. He is still the one who comes in the dark nights of the soul. He is still the one who goes before me. You're telling the story of Jesus and it's his story, but it's your story as well. And on that platform, you're just inviting your friend, your family, your coworker, your neighbor of, hey, what he's done for me, I know he can do for you. Do you need joy? Do you need hope? Do you need life? Do you need a a sense that there is something more than what you're currently doing? And, And what you will find is you'll still get two reactions. Some will say, tell me more. And some will make fun of you. But the reaction doesn't determine your obedience. And the potential reaction cannot keep you from stepping into that space. Our job is just to stand and tell the story of Jesus. And we come back and and continue the the story from Acts in a couple weeks. We'll see the response of the crowd that day. 3,000 people are added to the kingdom. God's plan is to use your life under the power of the Holy Spirit to build his kingdom. You have important jobs. You have important responsibilities. You have bright futures in front of you. You have other people that are looking at you. But the single most important, significant, and eternal thing any of us will ever do is share the good news of Jesus with other people. It has the potential to change their life, to change their family's lives, to have a generational impact on them. And so everywhere we are, before it's a platform for us, it's a platform for Jesus. It's an opportunity for us to tell the good news of who he is and what he's done. The Holy Spirit makes Jesus famous. That's the primary purpose of this gift of spirit baptism that we see in the book of Acts. That's why the story of Acts is Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the church. Because everywhere people are introduced to Jesus, it's done by the work of the Holy Spirit. And when they're introduced to Jesus, they then receive power from the Holy Spirit. They take their place in the church, in that local community, they make an impact, and then they launch from there outward, and the story continues over and over again throughout history and around the world. So at Christian Chapel, when we say we want to be a spirit-empowered church, We want to be a place where the gifts of the Spirit are in operation. We want to be a place where it is the supernatural is not uncommon or scary. We want to be a place where signs and wonders still occur. We want to be a place where healing is still prevalent. We want to be a place where God still does incredible things that require wild leaps of faith through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us. When we say all of that, what we want to remember is the primary purpose for all of it is to make Jesus famous. Consider the the response of those in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. 
the Holy Spirit is poured out with supernatural signs and wonders. And when they hear the questions of the crowd, when they hear the accusations of the crowd, they do not turn inward into a closed Christian circle, but they turn outward into a witness to the world. And the same posture must be true of every church, every Christian who claims to be spirit-empowered or seeking the work of the spirit in their life today. We don't want to be a church that says we want to embrace the Holy Spirit so we can turn inward in our community. The goal of the Holy Spirit is not to get us all together all of the time, high-fiving each other for how spiritual we are and how many of the gifts we've seen in operation. The goal of the Holy Spirit is always to fill God's people with power, to turn them outward, to be witnesses for him in the world. And so we, we, we love worship nights and we love prayer meetings and we love retreats and we love conferences and we love gathering together for worship. But that's never the whole point of the gift of the Spirit. The Spirit always sends us outward. The Spirit always, what does Jesus tell us? You will receive power not to host prayer meetings. You will receive power not to attend conferences. You will receive power not to start your own podcast. You will receive power not to just kind of go around in these Christian circles congratulating each other. You will receive power to be my witnesses. Not just to other believers, but to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Witnesses are telling others who have not heard about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And he put no qualifiers on it about your personality, about your giftings, about where you live or when you live. If you have said yes to Jesus, you are eligible to receive power from the Holy Spirit to be his witness and make Jesus famous everywhere you go to everyone you interact with. And some will receive and some will reject, but our job is to tell. To let God use every platform he wants in our life for his glory and for his honor. And someone did this for you. This is how we are all believers today. We are believers because those who've gone before us said yes to Jesus, surrendered to the power of the Holy Spirit, and they took the time and made the effort to tell us about him. And wherever it happened and whoever it was, you may remember them or you may not, but their life is significant because your life is surrendered to Jesus today. And now we have that same privilege to go back this afternoon, this evening, tomorrow, this week, this month, into all the places that God is calling us to and to participate in all that he wants us to do. We stand with me. I want to pray for us. And the band's going to come lead us in a final song. Jesus, we come to you today. And first of all, Lord, we pray if there is anyone in the room or online with us who's not yet made that decision to follow you. Today, Lord, will you help them to move towards you and into the identity you've created for them as your sons and your daughters. Jesus, as they feel that internal turmoil, that stirring in their heart and in their soul, Lord, today may they respond in confession and repentance. May they turn away from their old dead way of living. May they receive you as your Savior and all of the forgiveness and new life that you have promised. May they find their true and lasting identity as the sons and daughters of God, as members of the body of Christ. Lord, I pray for those who have made that decision. Once again, Lord, we come asking, will you fill us with the power of your Holy Spirit to be witnesses for you everywhere we go? 
Lord, we believe this week the Spirit is going to create platforms and opportunities for us to share who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. So Lord, we ask as we go back to work and school that you would help us to go in with fresh eyes and open ears, ready to see people as you see them and ready to hear what you're speaking to us. And whether we face curiosity or opposition, we believe that your spirit is leading us and guiding us and will speak through us. So Lord, help us to take that step of faith onto whatever platform you provide to open our mouths and begin to tell the story of Jesus, of who you are and what you've done and how you've changed our lives. Lord, I pray that this week we would see salvation stories. This week, we would see those family members that we've been crying out for place their faith in you. Lord, we pray that today would be the day of salvation, that this week would be the week of renewal and restoration. Lord, we pray that hearts that are cold and far from you will be drawn to you and surrendered to you. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to do our job by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us, to tell everyone everywhere the good news of who Jesus is, what he's done for us, and what he wants to do for them. And Lord, we believe as we take those steps of faith, your spirit will work to accomplish your purposes in the life of every man, woman, teenager, and child. And we thank you for the privilege of being a small part of that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.